Job chapter 38 and verse 3. Prepare yourself like a man. The word is used at least 66 times in the Old Testament. It's a word that is said to distinguish certain traits within humanity, particularly those of a warrior from those who are considered non-combatants. And so it is often translated warrior, a mighty one, a young, strong man, a hero or a champion, and even sometimes as a husband. One thing is consistent across the board. It always has reference to a male, and it is rooted in the characteristic that we might simply deem strength. So why do we open our Google search engines, our emails, social media, and hear about a man giving birth? Why is it that we see men who are dressing like women, acting like women, speaking like women? When the Bible speaks of a male, adult, human, it always stands in direct opposition to what is feminine, to what is woman. A man shall not put on a woman's garment. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Jeremiah 30 verse 6. Sadly, the world no longer identifies with the creative order. To them, this unavoidable biological phenomenon in the human race makes no difference to them because in their view, they are free to redesign, recreate, rearrange the creative order. We ask the question then, what is man? We even ask the question, not in whole, but at least in part, what is woman? Because this is equally critical as well in the endeavor to know what is man. I will confess that these questions do extend beyond the biological sphere, but they do not exist apart from it. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Those words come to us from the Lord Jesus Christ, who acknowledged and affirmed the creative order. Jesus stands in opposition to the transgender movement. Jesus stands in opposition to those who would seek to redesign, recreate, rearrange the creative order. God made man male and female. Therefore, let not man was Jesus's conclusion of the matter in regard to the particular matter of marriage where gender is significant and is necessary. What is man? Again, this is more than just the simple recognition of one's biology at birth. When God says to Job, now prepare yourself like a man, it's evident that Jehovah God has something more in mind than just that of X and Y chromosome. So here's what I have concluded. There is ultimately one word that I think centrally defines that of the character of a man. Are you ready for it? Here it is. One word. S-T-R-E-N-G-H. Strength. I believe at the heart of man's unique identity, that which stands in contrast to woman, is the internal and external trait of strength. Now, let me qualify that immediately and say that does not mean a woman cannot be strong. It also doesn't mean that this is the core virtue of being a man. Truly, at the heart of every human person is the internal and perhaps even external trait of God-likeness. 
We have all been made in the image of God. We all share common attributes that are in likeness to the Father, Creator above. There is no attribute of God that we do not all in like manner share with the divine nature above. And so the central virtue of what every human person is, is the God likeness of being made in his image. And following this, renewing this should be the central endeavor of every man, both man and woman alike. And yet God in his wisdom, in his own wisdom, and by his own authority, made the human race male and female just as the Lord Jesus Christ said. And in doing so, he endowed the two sexes with different strengths, different weaknesses, different levels even of the divine attributes. And here, as we speak about the qualities that distinguish the man specifically from the woman, it becomes very clear from scripture that a man has been endowed with a special measure of strength that simply is not made available to the complementing features of the female. Female features, by the way, that if we were to spend time discussing, would also prove themselves to be superior in relationship to some male features. Things like sensitivity, awareness, and humility often comes to mind. Let's begin by proving it. That really needs to be point number one. Look again with me in Job chapter 38 verse 3. Prepare yourself like a man, God says to Job. Now, I already mentioned the use of this Hebrew word. It's not in the generic blanket term for humanity like Adam, from which we get the name Adam or Adam, but also the term used for all of mankind. That that word is a very generic. That's not the word here. Instead, it is a very unique term that is applied only to the male identity in the Hebrew language. Valor, strength, might, courage. These are all such characterizations of this specific virtue that God uses in his identifying with Job. Be strong like a man is how the New Century Version renders it. It can sometimes be used to speak of a soldier, a mighty warrior, a husband, and hence like a hardworking farmer in the field. Some have even acknowledged that the word literally emphasizes maleness, which is why it is equally important to focus on the words that immediately precede it. Prepare yourself. Some versions say, gird up thy loins. And this, of course, is an ancient idiom for taking the long part of your shirt tail or your robe and tucking it around your legs and waist, usually when one must suddenly go to battle, Psalm 18, verse 39. But let's make an even simpler observation, one that goes back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God speaks to the woman after her transgression in the garden, and God says to the woman these words. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, next, he speaks to the man, and notice what he says to the man in the very next section. Then to Adam... He said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree, which I have commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the land. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken. Dust you are and to dust you shall return. Now, I want you to notice immediately the obvious difference. Both are made to suffer. 
but one is made to suffer under one creation and the other is made to suffer under another creation. The order is clear, is it not? Woman suffers under the creation of man. Man suffers under the creation of the earth. And yes, you heard me right, ladies. I do confess you all suffer under us men, but your desire is still for us, praise God. And that's the idea rendered there in verse 16, that in spite of suffering under us, you still long for us and you still have need of the man. And in similar respect, man suffers under the thorns and the bushes of the earth, these unruly, constantly untamable forces of nature, but we have need of it and we must endure. The glaring truth in all of this is that the strength of the man is undoubtedly stronger than the strength of the woman just as the earth's unbreakable natural forces remain stronger than that of the man. Even with the craftsmen, men, even with the Bosch, the heart, and the old Milwaukee at your side, still stronger. And let, finally, I'll just put this final passage out of scripture, from Scripture out there as proof. One of Jesus' closest messengers and apostles wrote in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Husbands, dwell with understanding, giving honor to the wife, listen to this, as to the weaker vessel which quite literally paints the word picture of one who is helpless, feeble, and in need of assistance. Again, we need to qualify this because we're not suggesting that a woman cannot be strong. In fact, back up just a verse before in Peter's letter, and he speaks of the woman who is under an unbelieving husband, not being afraid with any terror, trusting, serving God faithfully. But at the very same time, the fact that she must receive such encouragement and words of exhortation reveals the obvious truth that man carries forth the natural qualities of prevailing, while the woman carries forth the more natural qualities of submitting. Being more agreeable is even how some clinical psychologists like to put it. She is certainly free and she is able to fight the will of her husband, but it will be a far greater uphill battle for her than it will be for the man. And hence the nobility and the valor, by the way, of the woman who serves the Lord under an unfaithful husband. Her reward will be greater and surely her help from the Lord will be greater too. The conclusion of all of this is that the central distinguishing complement of what it means to be a man is that of strength. Now, let's answer the question, though, about justification. Truly, we have no need of justifying man's God-given central distinguishing mark of the male gender. If indeed God has made it that way and God has confirmed it in his spoken word, there's no need to justify it. But as defenders of the faith, we do seek to provide an answer to those who question us, 1 Peter 3.15. If God is the just judge that we say he is, and God shows no favoritism with man, just as he says he does, then why make one part of human race stronger and the counterpart of the human race weaker? That's a fair question. I think the best way to answer this is to answer this with a counter question, though. Who says that being stronger is being better? Now, obviously, strength over weakness is better, but I'm talking about value, worth, okay? Because isn't that the assumption that is essentially being made? We immediately assume that stronger is better or that stronger equals greater value and worth in terms of their relationship to the world, to God, et cetera, and so on. And, and we immediately really 
and truth are adopting the naturalist Darwinian mentality. Only the strong make it to the top. I challenge that proposition on its very face, but I'll do you one better. Look throughout history, look throughout the Bible, secular or otherwise, and see if that notion holds up. Even from the dawn of creation, who was it that managed to persuade the other to eat of the forbidden tree? It was the woman. And she certainly didn't make it happen by overpowering Adam in the physical terms. God says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, Adam, now you will be cursed. Time and again, we see that strength alone does not always set you at the top. Abraham listened to the voice of his wife, Sarah. In contrast, even the great Moses himself became subject to God's condemnation when it was his wife who had to take the lead and circumcise their son. And she says to Moses, surely you are a husband of blood to me. Exodus 4 verse 25, a phrase that I am convinced is one of grief and disappointment. Now, on we could go through the scriptures where one where we might, uh, mere might, I mean to say, mere might and strength does not set one atop at the ladder as some superior being, much less at the forefront of God's favor. Instead, the justification of this creative order essentially lies again in some of the simplest readings we have known in Scripture since childhood. When God created Adam, he sought for him a helper comparable to him, that is, one who is not the same, but is likened to him. A compliment is how some translations like to render it. It can quite literally be rendered to as his opposite in Genesis 2.20. When God took a rib from Adam's bones, he did not make another Adam. God did not wed Adam to a Steve. He wed Adam to an Eve. And really, bottom line, this is the justification for the differences if we had to justify it. Let me ask you something, man. Do you want to be wed to someone who looks like you? feels like you, does just like you, walks and talks just like you. I don't even think the LGBTQ community wants that because even as they join themselves over to the same sex, it always catches my attention how manly the one looks and how womanly the other looks or how manly the one acts while other, how womanly the other acts. You want to know why so many men today are looking to Eastern cultures for wives today? It's because so many of our women in our Western culture, they act, they speak, and they live like men. And that's not what men want. Men are not interested in women who bring home a paycheck, who leave the home and come back to the home the same time they do. Then Western culture wonders why divorce is so high, why so many men cheat on their wives, why so many women are depressed and unhappy with their lives. I recently heard that some 40 to 50% of women in our Western society today are projected to be living in their 40s without marriage and family. Now, I realize that a celibate life in the Lord can be a wonderful thing, but is that really what most want? Do the women in our society today understand the simple mechanics of biology? There comes a time in a woman's life, and it comes much faster than men, where the clock runs out and there's no turning back. Now, I realize 
This is a lesson about what it means to be a man. But you see, this is where women are just as much part of this conversation as men. Because it it is the woman who can help stem the tide of this grave, grave danger to Western society. And more importantly, this grave, grave danger to the church society. I'm convinced that if we are going to have greater and stronger men in our society today, we will need greater and stronger women. Women who will be women. Women who will act women. Women who will talk women. Women who will live women. To borrow from God's own word, it is not good that man should be alone. As the woman needs the man, the man needs the woman. He needs her support He needs her assistance. He needs her encouragement. He needs her complementary powers. By the way, there are those who hear this and they say, Dan, this, Dan just, Dan just thinks women should stay home, (laughs) bear children, take care of kids, cook supper and clean house, right? But you see that right there is part of the problem. You hear those things. And what do you think? You think negative thoughts. Who put that in your mind? Who gave you that conception? I I, I hear those things that I can hardly imagine anything more beautiful. It's certainly more beautiful than a woman managing some makeup department. No offense to those who do, but I'm going to tell you right now, unashamedly, that I think a woman who bears children, manages the home, cares for her husband, does a lot more for society than a woman who manages a makeup department. Now, obviously, there are other means of contribution that a woman can make that are keenly unique to the features and abilities of a woman. Managing that makeup department is not a bad thing, especially if you're in a situation that doesn't yet call for or make the management of a home and family possible. You can help other young ladies learn principles of modesty and dignity. Women have also been a powerful force in the way of charity, giving, serving the poor, caring for the weak, bringing beauty, compassion, network to a community. Today, we have many public schools with small children in need of education who can't get in the home. I'm not a huge advocate of the modern public school system. I'm not a huge advocate of virtually anything modern these days. Postmodern society has brought more ruin than good in my estimation. But I realize that in some measure, every kid, adult, myself included, have benefited from an educational institution outside of the home. And now many of our ladies are serving those places. How does this all relate to the justification of manhood? The fact of the matter is we can hardly justify it until we look to its complement, its complementing features and realize how much both sexes contribute to society on account of their opposing complementary features. With strength comes the need for a soft landing, and yet with softness comes a need for a firm and upholding hand. As the soldier goes off to war to endure the blood, sweat, and tears, so he returns to the loving and caring arms of one who is tender, compassionate, and loving. As it was said of Isaac after his mother's death and his union with Rebekah, so Isaac was comforted. Without woman, man would have little to come back to after war and hardship As the woman manages and cares for the home, she too cares for society. As the old saying goes, she who rocks the crib rocks the world. I said at the start that I was going to prove man's character as one of strength, justify it, but then I also want to encourage it. I hope this lesson has already been an encouragement to you, but I think a lot of that encouragement rests with the women. Women right here, right now. But men, I'll also tell you this, neither Adam nor Abraham, nor any other man after them, 
can place the blame on anyone else. Interestingly, Adam and Abraham sort of did, didn't they? Man, you need to be personally responsible. That's in part what it means to be strong. That's in part what it means to be a man. You bear up under your own load. You take responsibility. You do what needs to be done. And that starts first and foremost with serving and following Jesus. Bring your spouse and your children to church. Lead your family in personal devotion to God at home. Work with your hands. Provide what is needed. That doesn't mean that you do it all on your own. In fact, it means the exact opposite. You provide what is needed by teaching, training, leading your wife and children in ways that will help support the home overall. Take control of things like your finances, men, your spending. Help the family work together in ways that will benefit everyone. And likewise, lead in marital and family activities. Lead them in what is good and godly. Don't let your wife and kids get homebound because you like to sit on the couch. You need to take initiative. You need to be a leader. Single men, all I can say to you is prepare yourself like a man. Man, Work hard. Serve in the military if desirable. Build buildings. Work the farms. Fix machinery. Study. Preach. Teach. Contribute to society in ways that will uniquely provide what is good. That doesn't mean you can't work side by side with women, but it is certain that you will be able to provide something that complements the other sex and benefits everyone as a whole. I realize that there is a lot that has been said in this short amount of time, but I really think that the key to our society, and more importantly, the key to the progress and return of our churches in America right now, rests with you men and you women who are an inseparable connection to strengthening our men to accomplish that goal. The Bible says to encourage one another, Hebrews 3.13, and it reminds us that we are joint heirs together in the grace of life, 1 Peter 3.7. At the end of the day, we're all just trying to help one another get closer to Jesus in this life and in the one to come. In Christ, there is no male, there is no female, No differences that separate. We are all just one in spirit with Christ. But while we remain in the flesh, it's our duty to continue the journey together in the way God designed it. And we must not rearrange it. Women, you may do everything in your power, do everything in your power to support it. And men, may you do everything in your power to prepare yourself like a man and serve the Lord with strength. May God bless you in every effort to his glory.